For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order i'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill meat from those organs are among the most nutrient rich foods on the planet you can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. From Meat Eater's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, Here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. Two women were arrested in Thailand earlier this month for trying to smuggle 109 live animals out of the country. The women were attempting to board a flight to India from Bangkok, but officials stopped them after a routine x-ray inspection of their baggage revealed something unusual. Along with toiletries and food items, officials discovered 70 lizards, 20 snakes, two white porcupines, and two armadillos. Kind of like a mini arc for the overhead bin. Both women have been arrested and charged with violations of Thailand's Wildlife Preservation and Protection Act, Customs Act, and Animals Epidemic Act. Photos posted online show that the women had stuffed the animals in plastic, ventilated crates and then stuffed those crates into their luggage. The armadillos had been covered in straw and the turtles had been stacked in a bucket. Several iguanas had already died and all the reptiles were dehydrated by the time they were found. The animals were worth about $5,700 on the black market, according to the India Times. Some would be used for traditional medicines while others would be sold as exotic pets. Now you might be asking yourself, how did these women hope to get through security? How hard can it be to see live animals in luggage x-rays? In order to get those answers, you'll have to ask your friendly neighborhood TSA agent. But these women weren't the only traffickers who hoped to fly undetected. Officials have seized nearly 1,000 animals at this Thai airport since the beginning of the year, according to NGOs that monitor animal trafficking makes me think that the children of these airport employees are extremely happy. Did you bring me anything home from work today? Here's the takeaway. If you'd like to add a few more turtles or lizards to your home aquarium, make sure you know where they're coming from 
And for goodness sake, don't order them from Amazon or Craigslist. This week, we've got crabs, crime, and don't meth with coyotes. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. As you know, my week is sponsored by Steel Power Equipment, makers of the world's finest chainsaws. And chainsaws is what I and many other fellow volunteers are dropping off to Montana's block management participants. Block management is the name of our private land public access program here in the state, which varies year to year in size, but currently landowners in the program add an additional 7 million acres of public hunting, which is a huge deal. The idea behind this program is to give landowners a cash incentive to allow public hunting, as well as provide hunting pressure that will remove and move animals off of their private grazing and agriculture ground. Now, it's a fantastic program and one that we really appreciate, which is why we put together a big thank you between Meat Eater and all of you who participated in the TRCP raffle. We raised a bunch of cash, purchased steel chainsaws and cash cards for 46 randomly drawn participating landowners across the seven different hunting regions of Montana. And I'm going to talk a lot more about this on a future Access dedicated episode, but on the topic, Please keep in mind we are still looking to help out even more by finding that perfect property. Please submit a place that you know could use more access to hunting and fishing at the Meat Eater Land Access Initiative. Go to TheMeatEater.com and look under the Conservation tab for more. Moving on to the Crab Desk, which is not to be confused with the Crab's Desk, which is a very, very different desk. Crab is delicious, and so is bourbon. But together, one New Hampshire distillery believes this unlikely pair can make money and fight an invasive species all at the same time. Thanks to Matthew Baca for sending this one in. Tamworth Distilling has created a new kind of whiskey infused with green crab stock. They've called it Crab Trapper, and distillery founder Steve Grass described it as a briny and better fireball. I don't know that the world needs another fireball. But I do know that New England doesn't need any more green crabs. The species arrived on our shores in the 1800s, and it's wreaked havoc on coastal ecosystems ever since. The crabs eat clams, oysters, and mussels, and crab fishermen don't want them because they don't yield enough meat. To create a market for this invasive species, Tamworth Distilling worked with the University of New Hampshire to develop the Crab Trapper. They started with a bourbon base, added a crab stock made with over 90 pounds of crabs, and mixed in a spice blend that included paprika, bay, mustard seed, allspice, and cinnamon, among other spices. The distillery says it's supposed to remind drinkers of a low country crab boil. Maybe that's not your jam, but if it is, you can pre-order a 200 milliliter bottle for 65 bucks. Green crabs aren't the only crab species that have become unexpectedly useful. Many people don't know this, but the blood of horseshoe crabs is one of the most useful medical substances in existence. The bright blue blood isn't an ingredient in medicines, but it is used by pharmaceutical companies to test their products for the existence of endotoxins. Some of those products are vaccines, including the vaccine against COVID-19. The blood contains immune cells that are exceptionally sensitive to toxic bacteria. When those cells meet invading bacteria, They clot around it and protect the rest of the horseshoe crab's body from toxins. 
Horseshoe crab blood can be harvested without killing the animal, and the American horseshoe crab is not considered endangered or threatened. Unfortunately, I can't say the same for the final crab species in this hard shell roundup. Blue crabs. There isn't enough blue crab sperm to go around. Sure, you've heard that one before, but this time, it's real. Oh, what I wouldn't give to have a less like that on me claw! According to a recent report in the Washington Post, the Chesapeake Bay blue crab population has hit a record low, and the number of female crabs dropped from 158 million in 2021 to just 97 million this year. This is a problem not only because fewer females mean fewer little crabs swimming around, when blue crabs mate, the male usually deposits enough sperm to last the female crab for several years. But when there are lots of male crabs and not as many females, the males mate more frequently, sometimes as often as every few days. That's not enough time for the males to, you know, recharge. The sperm deposit that should last a female several years might only be enough to fertilize her eggs for one season. Ultimately, this could result in an additional 5-10% to reduction in the number of fertilized eggs. Regulators have restricted this year's blue crab harvest, which is both driving up the price for consumers and hurting Chesapeake Bay watermen. Blue crab populations can fluctuate widely from year to year, so the next year could be better. But for anyone who likes a New England crab cake to go along with their green crab whiskey, this is a concerning turn of events. Moving on to the climate change desk. Polar bears are a kind of poster child for climate change, and rightly so. These largest of the land predators rely on sea ice to hunt seals. They use the ice as cover to sneak up on their prey and grab them from above. In the Arctic Circle, that sea ice only exists for part of the year, which means that even in good times, polar bears must survive between 100 and 180 days without food. Warming temperatures make the ice freeze later in the year and melt earlier, which means the bears are forced to survive without food even longer. This is sort of like if the grocery store was only open for 10 minutes every day, and you lived 8 minutes away. You could make it, but even a small traffic jam would threaten that day's meal. One polar bear population in Greenland, however, appears to be getting to the grocery store just fine. This population lives at the southern edge of the Arctic Circle, which is sea ice-free for a whopping 250 days a year. But a recent study published in the journal Science has found that not only is this population surviving, it's the most genetically diverse out of all 20 populations of Arctic polar bears. This population has existed for about 200 years, but researchers have historically assumed it was part of another population farther north. This new study tracked 36 years of GPS collar data and noticed that the southern and northern bears almost never interacted. Like the star-bellied sneeches and the sneeches without, each population stayed on its side of latitude 64 degrees north. That's a Dr. Seuss reference, kids. <coughs> Genetic testing proved that this southern population is distinct and comprises about 300 individuals. How can these bears survive in such an unfriendly environment? Researchers believe the bears use something called glacial melange. This may sound like a fancy ice cream, but it's actually small bits of freshwater ice that break off from nearby glaciers. The bears ride these ice chunks and use them as hunting platforms in the same way they use sea ice. What's more, researchers believe other bears can adopt this hunting strategy. While the southern and northern populations rarely interact, 
genetic testing has identified two individuals that could be immigrants from the north. Polar bear carpetbaggers, if you will, these bears appear to be thriving, which suggests that they've learned how to ride the glacial melange too. Researchers were careful to point out that their findings don't suggest that polar bears will thrive in a warmer global climate. The vast majority of polar bears live in areas without glacial ice, so even if they could use this ice to hunt seals, they won't have the opportunity to do so. Some bears might be able to migrate to areas similar to that in this study, but most will be forced to either adapt in even more drastic ways, or they won't. Still, as the Scientific American put it, the study offers a glimmer of hope that even if a large percentage of polar bears continue to decline, some will be able to adapt and thrive in our hotter, less icy world. Which of you listening right now took a class in school about family finances 101? No one? Me neither. Like the importance of a will or a college savings plan or even life insurance or estate planning, we have to know these things. But how do we figure it all out? That's why I'm excited to partner with Fabric by Gerber Life. Life insurance is important to me because I don't want to be a burden on anyone ever, especially when I'm dead and I can't chip in to, you know, lift heavy things and do stuff like that. That's why I have life insurance. And I know you don't want to be a pain in the ass because you're listening to my podcast. So get life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you've got kids, and especially if you're young and healthy, the time to lock in low rates is now. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cal. That's meetfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash cal policies issued by western southern life assurance company not available in certain states prices subject to underwriting and health questions now a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating you know some organ the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill i had that when i was a little kid and it was a big deal Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. You've heard that name before because I've talked about them here on this podcast. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. Now, it's wild axis deer, which is an invasive species, but this operation is monitored and observed by the USDA, and they can commercially sell axis deer. Last time I went out to uh, Maui to hunt axis, I did not kill one, which is where Maui Nui Venison would come in 
very handy for folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful and still want to have something in the freezer or uh, handy in the form of a snack stick that is as close to getting your own as you can get, which is what Maui Nui Venison is. You can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. Moving on. We've covered several stories recently about private landowners selling, prohibiting, or restricting public land use without notice. If you live in a state without much public land, it's even more important to secure permanent access to the places you love to hunt, fish, and hike. Iowans have a chance to do just that. Less than 2% of the state is open for public hunting, but a group of conservation organizations are working to increase that number by 104.8 acres. The Smith Wildlife Habitat Area is in Ida County, south of Battle Creek, Iowa. Ida County currently ranks one of the lowest counties in Iowa for public land access, but it does have Crawford Creek Recreation Area, which is 260 acres and contains a 62-acre lake. The Smith Wildlife Area is directly adjacent to Crawford Creek, and it's been purchased by the Iowa Natural Heritage Foundation from the previous private owners. However, it currently does not allow public access. That's why Ida County Pheasants Forever, Ducks Unlimited, and the Iowa chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, along with several other groups, are raising money to transfer the parcel to the Ida County Conservation Board. This will allow public access to the property and add nearly 30% more public gun hunting in the county. Aaron Hybazen, a regional chapter coordinator for Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, told me that about 60% of the new property drains into Crawford Lake. If it had been sold off and turned into agriculture, it would have risked damaging the lake's ecosystem. Having that natural prairie grasses and and preventing from being filled up allows uh, that lake from being basically silted in. Not only is it currently providing wildlife habitat for deer and pheasants and rabbits and uh, great horned owls, short-eared owls, which are threatened in the state, but it's preventing erosion into that lake, which is kind of the, like I said, that crown jewel of that county. Here's another great story out of Minnesota. The Minnesota Department of Natural Resources announced last month it had received a 729-acre land donation from the Trust for Public Land, or TPL. The trust had purchased the property from an energy company using a grant funded by the Minnesota Outdoor Heritage Fund. The new parcel stretches for three miles along the St. Croix River in Chisago County and will be managed by the DNR as part of the Chenguatana State Forest. It contains grasslands, forests, and several streams, creeks, and ponds. Plus, it's located only about one hour north of Minneapolis, so it will offer a great opportunity for city slickers to enjoy the great outdoors. Remember, if you need or are compelled to straighten me out on my pronunciations, It's A-S-K-C-A-L at TheMeatEater.com. Another fun fact for you, first flyer out I ever had was a St. Croix. The property will be added to the nearly 30,000-acre state forest, which contains fantastic hiking trails and fishing opportunities. Licensed hunters can also pursue deer, grouse, wild turkeys, and other game on the property. In the grand scheme of things, 
Neither this property nor the Iowa property is a massive addition to public land holdings. And unless you live in western Iowa or northern Minnesota, you likely won't be able to travel to enjoy them. But I'd bet my house there's a similar project in your neck of the woods. Taken together, these land access projects make a huge difference. So here's your call to action. Reach out to your local hunting and conservation organization and ask how you can get involved. You might find that they've been looking for someone with your skill set to push their access project across the finish line. If you want to chip in a couple of bucks to secure the Iowa property, Google Smith Wildlife Habitat Area Access Project. And don't forget the Meat Eater Land Access Initiative. We're still looking for this round's project. It just has to provide more access to hunting and fishing. Moving on to the crime desk. Hunting under the influence of alcohol or drugs is never a good idea, but poachers aren't known for having good sense or a well-developed prefrontal cortex. That's especially true of these three yahoos. First up, in Michigan, a 29-year-old man has pleaded not guilty to five misdemeanors after prosecutors say he shot multiple white-tailed deer from his vehicle while under the influence of both alcohol and marijuana. Edward Trout admitted to officers that he shot deer on three separate instances to, quote, relieve frustration. Now, far be it for me to judge another person for his coping mechanisms, but I think I'm on safe grounds when I say that there are better ways to deal with stress. Uh, meditation, exercise, or driving the car, minus smoking the weed and firing a gun. Or firing a gun, minus shooting the deer illegally, or smoking weed. Or you get what I'm saying here, I'm just spitballing. Anyway, officers with the Michigan Department of Natural Resources found 13 deer that had been shot and abandoned in the area near Nelson and Spencer Townships. Trout admitted to having shot at least five deer, and officers discovered he'd been engaging in these nighttime escapades since 2020. Trout denied this at first, but then officers showed him text messages in which he had openly told people about his illegal activities. After being confronted with this evidence, he admitted what he'd done, according to a local media report. But he wasn't done yet. After Trout missed his first court appearance, officers got a new tip that he was illegally spearing turtles at Pine Lake in Cedar Springs. Snapping turtles can be legally taken, but they must be caught with a trap or hook and line. A tipster told officers that Trout had speared several snapping turtles and left them on the shore. When asked about this accusation, Trout said he had speared the turtles, but only because he feared for his children's safety while they were fishing. His hunting and fishing privileges have been suspended, and his gun, crossbow, and spear have been seized. He's due to appear in court on July 19. Shooting a gun from a car while drunk and high is bad, but coyote hunting after taking meth for three days may be worse. That's what two Pennsylvania men discovered after one of them shot the other in the neck with a 223. 47-year-old Michael Walnock and 50-year-old Joseph Lynn Sr. had both been taking meth when they decided, you know what, it's time for a coyote hunt. Lynn admitted in a recent hearing that he'd been taking meth for three days before the hunt, quote, as a stimulant so he could stay up to hunt coyotes at night. That started on Walnock's brother's property near Clearfield, Pennsylvania, before moving to state game lands in Madison Township. They used an electronic call to attract coyotes, and before long, they saw three pairs of eyes shining in the light of their headlamps. They took a few pot shots before Lynn said he saw the white belly of an animal on the ground. 
He went to investigate, but when he turned around, he saw a muzzle flash. Walnock hit Lynn in the neck and partially paralyzed his right arm. Lynn still has bullet fragments in his neck that are too close to the spine to remove, and these fragments cause him constant pain in his neck, through his biceps, and down into his elbow. He also walks with a cane and had to be helped into the witness stand. Walnock says he didn't mean to hit Lynn, but Lynn isn't buying it. He said he was wearing a headlamp and an orange vest, so it would have been impossible for Walnock to mistake him for an animal. Lynn believes Walnock may have shot him to steal the meth and money from his wallet. The men had been friends for 20 years, but they haven't spoken since the incident. I understand Lynn's point, and I've never been high on meth, so I can't say this for certain, but I can't imagine the meth improves accuracy. Officers later found a white-tailed deer that had been badly wounded near the site of the incident, and they recovered a bullet that matched the type of the projectile the men were using. Walnock has been charged with aggravated assault, recklessly endangering another person, shooting at a human being, and helping someone illegally take big game after shooting hours. Kids, don't meth with poaching. And certainly don't meth with meth. My personal experience is, the outdoors are stimulating enough. No artificial enhancement necessary. Moving on to the international desk. Hong Kong officials announced this month a proposal to raise the maximum penalty for feeding wild animals from $1,200 to $12,000. Repeat and serious offenders could also find themselves in prison for up to a year. The announcement comes as the city grapples with a wild boar population that has grown to as many as 3,000 individuals. There were only two cases of boars injuring residents in 2013, but by the end of last year, that number had grown to 20. This year, there have already been 25 incidents. Officials instituted a culling program, but apparently it hasn't been enough to fix the problem. The city already had a feeding ban in place, but it only applied to certain portions of the city with high concentrations of monkeys. Now, the feeding ban covers the entirety of Hong Kong, and officials hope that it will be enough to convince residents to stop feeding the invasive porkers. I'm not sure about you, but between the monkeys and the wild pigs, Hong Kong is slowly becoming my go-to destination. Of course, not everyone agrees on the best way to handle this issue. There is a group, which you can look up for yourself on Facebook, called the Hong Kong Wild Boar Concern Group. They say they support the feeding ban, but they don't believe the government should continue killing animals. I'm relying on Facebook Translate here, so I hope my Mandarin-speaking friends will forgive me. But from what I can tell, the group's latest post claims that 114 animals have been killed by the government's program. They call on the government to stop killing pigs and say that, quote, Many citizens are deeply saddened by the news of boars being massacred. They want animals to be shareholders of our society and believe that education and respect for animals is the best solution. Which I largely agree with, as long as we can still eat them. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. And remember to write in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at themeateater.com and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you again next week. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. 
Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. 